This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am excited. I'm really excited. I'm not going to lie. This is one of the most exciting episodes I've had in a while, and from my Instagram, I posted about uh, when I recorded, and you guys are really excited too, so I'm really, really happy to be uploading this episode today. I have interviewed Marianna Hewitt. If you guys don't know who Marianna Hewitt is, then you must not be on Instagram, but she is an influencer and an entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of Summer Fridays, which is a clean skincare line that launched their best-selling jet lag mask in 2018. You guys definitely know what it is. If you guys have Instagram, you have seen this branding, you have seen the package, you have seen people use out the jet lag mask and still have it on their counter because that's how beautiful the branding is. So I'm sure it needs no explanation, but Mariana started her career in beauty as an influencer by sharing her beauty tips, her personal style, her travel adventures through her blog and her YouTube channel, and she has created a cult following. She definitely is one of those influencers that I would consider pretty OG. She really started in the beginning of the whole blogging industry before blogging was even popular, you know, before Instagram was treated as a business, she dipped her toe in. She actually had a career in PR when she started, so I really wanted to talk about her background, her story, how she um, got where she is today, and any tips that she has for the rest of us along the way. So it was an honor to have her on, and I know that you guys are going to love this episode, and if you guys are listening to this episode, take a screenshot and post it on your stories. I love seeing who's listening, and I love seeing it on your stories and reposting you it just means a lot to me to see that and I'm just I'm, I'm really excited I'm just excited <laughs> I feel like I've said that way way too much in the intro but before we do get started I did also want to thank the reviewer of the week and you guys know I like thanking reviewers of the week I think it's one of those things that without reviewers I, I don't know I feel like I feel like with podcasts, it's very one-sided. You're just listening to it and there's no really space to interact. So I just love seeing all your five-star reviews on my podcast and it means a lot to me. I feel like my podcast reviews mean more to me than anything else because it's something that isn't like intuitive. You don't think to leave a review on a podcast. So I just really appreciate everyone who does. And so the reviewer of the week comes from Abigail. I love listening to the Real Real podcast. I honestly didn't get into podcasts until recently, but I follow Natalie's YouTube channel and I enjoy the diversity of her content. Natalie's podcasts are always interesting. You can tell that she plans ahead and prepares for any guest interview. Natalie and her guests are very well-spoken and I always feel like I learned something new. If you're looking for an entertaining and uplifting podcast, listen to the Real Real. Thank you so much. I definitely do prep a lot beforehand and make sure that I'm asking interesting questions and questions that not everyone might know or not everyone might think to ask. Uh, I try to make my podcast a little bit different and I never promote my YouTube channel on my podcast really, but I am uploading a video this week about how to start a successful podcast and it's a second version of the one that I filmed last year and I talk about how I prep for my interviews. So if you guys are curious about that, definitely check it out. Um, and if you guys didn't know, I do have a YouTube channel. I feel like I don't really talk about it on my podcast that much. I just assume that everyone that listens to my podcast comes from YouTube. I've been getting a lot of new listeners on the podcast, so uh, I'm really happy that you guys are here and that you guys have found the podcast. I'd also love to know how you found it, so DM me about that. But anyways, I'm rambling. I did want to thank you. You guys know I love thanking you, and I really sincerely mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening, um, and I know that you guys are going to love this episode. This is probably the most exciting episode that I've had on, and I just can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let's get into the episode with Marianna Hewitt. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? 
Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces inner pair split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to theouai.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's theouai.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hi, Mariana. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. So we are going to get started with setting the record straight. I'm really excited to do this with you because it's just some assumptions and some stereotypes. And then you're going to let me know if they're true or false and feel free to expand on the true or false questions. I always love just hearing what people think about some misconceptions or if they are misconceptions. Got it. So the first one is you have to be an expert in beauty to enter the beauty industry. False. So I think you can be an expert. You can be an educated consumer. You could be just a fan of products and you don't have to be an expert, but I think the longer you post and talk about something, you'll become an expert in whatever it is, uh, the kind of content that you share. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like beauty is something that is constantly evolving and it's always changing and there's not rules to it. So I feel like you can start whenever, like, I mean, I started on YouTube when I was 14 or no 15 and I was doing makeup videos and I did not know what I was doing then, but it was just a fun thing for me to express myself at that age. Yeah. There's so many different ways to share content. So if you are not an expert, don't feel like you have to be one to start a page. You can be a content creator. You can share a certain type of product. You can pick a niche that works for you. There's so many different avenues and lanes to be an influencer. So don't let not being an expert hold you back. Yeah, I completely agree. And the next one is social media is oversaturated. False. There are more accounts now than ever, but it's also an amazing time to start an account because there are so many great resources between podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, Clubhouse. And so I think, you know, in the time when you started YouTube and when I started online, there wasn't a lot of resources or a lot of people to look up to, to see, you know, what kind of path should I follow? But now there are. So 
even though there's a lot of people, there's so much opportunity. Yeah. And I also think with more people on it, there's a lot more people watching. Like there's still so many people that don't have a channel or that don't have an Instagram or aren't using it, you know, to be an influencer. And, but yet there's so many people that are consuming that content. So I really don't think it's as saturated as like people think it is for sure. And the next one is influencer marketing is one of the best ways to grow a brand. True and false. So I think influencer marketing works for a certain type of company, but if you don't have a budget for influencer marketing or if it doesn't fit for you, don't force yourself to do it. I mean, it's hard to say because I'm an influencer. So of course I think I can add a lot of value to brands, but I think there's going to be cases where I maybe am not valuable to a brand where what my services are, maybe are not best suited for you. And there's other types of marketing for other types of businesses. So don't think every single company needs to do influencer marketing because for you, maybe subway ads or podcast ads or magazine or traditional, you know, marketing is better suited for you. So I think if it works for you, amazing, because it can be so incredible to a brand, um, but it's not necessary for every industry. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Cause I do think that so many people put an emphasis on influencer marketing and myself included, like I am an influencer as well. So I think that it's great, but there, I think that sometimes it has to be done well, you know, it, it can't be forced like you were saying. And I still see some things like I'll be on the subway and I'll see a poster and I'll like actually look it up. Like what, it, Oh, what is this advertisement? You know? So like that type of traditional marketing still works. Uh, it's just funny to see how like everyone really is trying to get into influencer marketing. So it's good to know that it's not necessarily the only way to grow a brand or to market mm -hmm. a brand. And now I'm curious about your childhood and like how you grew up. So what did you want to be when you were a kid? Because you are so successful today. You know, you are a successful influencer. You're a successful businesswoman. So when you were growing up, was that something you wanted to get into like the beauty industry or like being an entrepreneur? Well, first of all, thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. I grew up wanting to be Oprah and I love her so much. And the reason why I loved her was she was influential and still is really influential. And I loved that she had a platform for telling stories, sharing stories, speaking with others and sharing her favorite things. So Oprah's favorite things is like my version of like Mariana's favorite things. And these are the things that I like to post and share and talk about. And growing up, I thought being like Oprah and being on television was the only way I could have this path of sharing the things I was passionate about interviewing people I cared about and sharing products that I loved, but little did I know with the internet and YouTube and becoming an influencer, that would become a different career path for me. So in a way I'm still doing the things I always wanted to do growing up. It's just on a different platform. So instead of being on TV, it's on the internet or, you know, podcast or YouTube or blog or wherever you might, you know, engage with my content. So it's still what I wanted to be. Did I know I would be a brand founder one day? I don't know if I knew I would start a company, but I had a passion for beauty products ever since I was really little. And I love product. I'm such a product junkie and educated consumer. And I love playing and testing and buying things. And I'm the person who walks around Sephora and fills up my basket with stuff I don't need because I just want to try everything that's out there. Um, and then I, I think I had this feeling when I was little that I was just born and destined to do something. And I, I can't even explain it, but it was just a feeling that I had. And I grew up in Ohio and I, I would tell people in my circle, like the things I wanted to do when I grow up. And I think I couldn't relate to a lot of people because, you know, growing up there, there's just like a certain career path that you take, you go to college and you get married and you have kids. And a lot of people end up in the same town. And I was like, I'm going to move to California. I'm going to become a TV host. I'm going to do all of these things. And so I felt it was just something that was in me ever since I was little. And I, you know, took that feeling and ran with it. So if you're somebody who just feels like, regardless of what city you're in, what your background is, where you're located, if you have this feeling like I was born and I'm destined to do something with my life and I just have this passion and calling, I would really advise you to go for it. Even if your peers or friends or family don't understand what you're wanting to go after and do, because if you have a gut feeling, you're willing to do the work to make it happen, you deserve to go after your dreams. And, you know, growing up, I remember telling my mom, like, I'm going to be a TV host and I'm going to do this stuff. And she's like, okay, but we need a realistic backup plan because <laughs> this is very not possible that a lot of people will do this. And I'm like, no, it is possible because I'm going to make it happen. And I had to prove to my parents that this was what I wanted to do when I grow up because they had, they didn't see other people doing these things. So they didn't even know it was possible. But in my mind, I'm like, 
if Oprah can do it or this other person can do it, why not me? And that's how I ended up where I am today. That's crazy thinking back to how you really are on the right path from when you were a child, you know, like you knew kind of what you wanted to do and be a storyteller and, you know, be this public figure in a way like Oprah. And it's crazy because I feel like back then there were only a few role models that people like you could look up to. And now it's with the internet and with social media, there's so many, you know, and it's so much more accessible because now you don't have to necessarily get on a TV network. You can start your own YouTube channel. And so I feel like people on the internet are being able to kind of show to young, the younger generation that it is possible to share your story and you can do it on your own. You know, you don't need approval from anyone else. Uh, and when you were older, did you go to college to do like TV journalism or what was your major in school? Yeah, I did actually. And there was like a TV news station at my college and I did the entertainment news and in college, we actually had to film our own packages, write a script for a teleprompter. We learned how to use Final Cut Pro. And so a lot of those things that I learned in college, I actually ended up using once I started a YouTube channel because I had all of those skills. But in school, they taught us news stations don't have a lot of money. If you want to get hired, you need to know how to do all of the jobs. You need to be like a one-man band. So if you get hired, you can take a camera, report from the field, edit your packages, write your own scripts. And so little did I know that that was all the things I would need eventually to do my own video content. And then, you know, after I graduated from college, I thought, okay, do I want to move to New York where the path for me would be, you know, working in hard news because that's where a lot of like the morning news shows and stuff were, or did I want to go to LA where it's more like entertainment news um, instead of like more being like a TV host versus being like a news anchor. And I wanted to follow down that path. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, my mom still was like, you need to have a backup plan. So my backup plan was PR. So in college, I interned um, doing public relations. And that was the first job I had when I moved to Los Angeles. And when I was taking the celebrities to interviews, you know, the PR side of things, I would take them to interviews and I was like, okay, I still want to be the one interviewing them, not taking them to the interviews. And so then I was like, okay, this is still the path I want to go down and then con continue to pursue that and ended up like finding random jobs in LA. And I would make $50 to go stand on a red carpet and it would cost me more money to like drive there and park. Um, so I was not really making anything from it, but I was doing it to build up my reel. And so I would work for these online places, try to get like little bits and, you know, clips from celebrities and eventually built a reel. And then that was my job. Yeah, that's really cool how you did still have a background in media before starting your social media. So when did you end up starting like your YouTube channel? Was it in the middle of this or was this in college? Yeah, so I started my YouTube channel in 2012. So I was graduated from college at that time. Um, but I was also working full time as a TV host. Um, I was doing entertainment news and then I went into doing fashion and beauty news. So this was all kind of at the same time. And I had really crazy hours at work. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and go to work when it's dark because on the West Coast, you're already behind to the news cycle that's happening on the East Coast. So I would have to have like my videos and my content all done you know, very early in the morning. So when publishing it online, we weren't behind from what was happening in the news cycle the rest of the day online. And so um, it was really time consuming the job that I was at and I was really exhausted. So I didn't have a ton of time to be doing my YouTube content at the same time while I was at work. So I launched my YouTube channel in 2012 while I still had a full-time job. And then shortly after I started an Instagram account, I, it was really like a photo editing app for me at the time. But because mm -hmm. I was working as a TV host, I would take pictures on a red carpet. So I would go to interview a celebrity or whatever I was doing. And I would take a picture of myself like while I was waiting for people to arrive. And instead of people being like, who did you interview? They're like, oh, that dress is so cute. What are you wearing? Or how did you do your hair and makeup? And it started to become less about what I was doing for work and more about me. And that's kind of how I built my own social following at the very beginning. And so YouTube in 2012, Instagram 2013, blog in 2014. And then 2014 is when um, I was able to become an influencer, which I didn't even really know that's what I was doing at the time, but that's when I made the pivot to doing that as a full-time job. Yeah. And when you've entered the social media industry, like in let's say 2012 to 2014, what was that like? Like what were people blogging at the time or like, were you one of the first ones that kind of was getting like engagement or posting about your outfits and posting about what you do? Or was that kind of starting to become more normal in the social media world? 
there was really only a handful of people before me. So I'm definitely, I wasn't like the very first, but I'm in like the early wave of influencers and bloggers. And so at that time, the people before me would have been like Ami Song, Sincerely Jules, um, Jerry Hirsch, because I'm addicted was her blog at the time. And so there was a, there was a couple people, but not a lot. So it definitely was not like it is today. So there weren't brands spending money on influencer marketing. They were barely gifting, um, being an, being an influencer now, I think is a job that people aspire to have, but at that time Mm -hmm. it wasn't. And if you wanted to work with a brand, you really had to convince them to either send you free stuff or to pay you, or if they did pay you, it was very minimal. And so it's, it's very different from then to now. And so there was no career path to like look down to say like, okay, this is what people do. This is what people post. Um, so really I feel like at that time it was a lot of guesswork of like trying to figure stuff out, but now there's so much information. So if you want to start it, like I spent a lot of years, like wasting money on camera equipment and lenses and trying to figure out my photography style. Now iPhones are amazing. There's so many editing apps. You can edit video on your iPhone. Um, but back in the day, I feel like it was a much longer and harder process to create content. Yeah. And do you feel like it was more manicured back then? Like you had to be perfect and post only like, you know, like you're saying, like have the perfect lens and have the perfect camera compared to now. I feel like Instagram, even like Instagram, YouTube, all of these social media platforms are so much more authentic. Like you can roll out of bed and do your morning routine with no makeup on. Whereas I feel like in 2014 on YouTube, at least it was like your morning routine was filmed at 3 PM and you had a a whole like studio set up for it, you know? So did you notice that switch of like, being more manicured in the beginning and feeling pressure to like be perfect on social. Yeah. Back then it was definitely about the perfect photos all the time. And it was almost less about Instagram and it was more about blogs. So it was like my Instagram was a source to drive you to my blog where my blog post had all of the links and it had like five to seven images per blog post. And everyone was like, everything was shot so beautifully. It was like light and airy. You would like have a really low aperture on your camera. So then the background was like really blurry behind you. There was just like a certain (laughs) style of photography. And so for every job I would get, I would like then buy a new computer so I could edit my YouTube videos. Then the next check I would get, I would use that to buy a new camera lens. So then my camera would be better. And so with every job, I would kept reinvesting into my content to try to get the best content that I possibly could. Cause this is before people were paying photographers to take their content or videographers. Like people were shooting themselves or like their husbands or boyfriends or friends were like using their cameras. Now it's so different. Um, but back then it was like really trying to figure out how to have the best quality content yourself. Um, and everything was like very, very perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely noticed that. I mean, I was, I've been on YouTube since 2011 and it was, it's just funny seeing how like in the beginning it was so perfect, everything and like so unrealistic. And I'm, I'm very happy for the switch of it becoming more authentic. And, you know, it's honestly so much more accessible for anyone to start and to make it because like you said, you don't need that expensive camera lens or that expensive camera. Like you can do everything on your phone, which I think is really awesome. Um, and then also, since you, when were you able to quit your job? Like your full-time job? Was that in 2014? Yeah, that was in 2014. So once I could like supplement the same that I was making from my job, um, I felt okay about it. And so at that time it was like so random. It was like random brands would message you or find your email address and they would send you product. You would post it. They would send you PayPal back. They would literally PayPal you like $50 to post this thing. You would leave a post, up, a sponsored post up for like 24 hours, and then you could delete it afterwards. So it's really different than now where there's contracts and managers and you negotiate fees. Back then I was like, oh my gosh, $50 to post a picture. That's amazing. Um, so it's definitely a much different business than it was then. But so it was funny thinking back to the days of doing that, but I would just do like a bunch of those. And that's kind of how I made my income at the very beginning. Yeah. And did you learn a lot from your traditional PR job that you implemented into your YouTube channel and into your Instagram and your blog? So I think all of my careers and jobs that I've had helped me as an influencer and as a brand founder. So I think doing PR, I learned to like, you can have these amazing clients, but really you're, you have to beg people to want to talk about them. So nothing is guaranteed and it's really up to the person that you're pitching. Um, And so I learned a lot about that. And at that time, like Sofia Vergara was one of the clients and Mary J. Blige and Jada Pinkett Smith. And it was Sofia Vergara's first season of Modern Family. And I remember taking her to events and um, red carpets and stuff. And this is before she was 
who she is today. And of course she was really already known then, but I saw how difficult the job was to pitch a client to somebody. So now having a brand, I understand like when they're pitching our products to a public or to a, an editor, it doesn't mean that they're guaranteed going to cover it. And it's all about like the relationships that you build. And so I think PR taught me about relationship building and networking and knowing that whoever the person is on the other side, they need an angle. So why should they cover this person? Are you going to give them an exclusive? Is there a clickbait type headline? Are they going to give you a good quote? So I learned from PR about that from my traditional like news job. I learned about editing videos, writing scripts, um, engaging content, you know, opening with something really entertaining. And I learned a really fast news cycle. And so I learned how to pivot and do things very quickly because let's say I was working at my you know, entertainment job that day and a a news story happened. You'd have to like quickly write a script, go into the studio, edit it, get it online really quickly because if not, everybody else is already posting it and your content's going to be behind. So I learned speed from that job. And then I think both of those things helped me when I started to become an influencer because I always thought of my content from like a professional standpoint. So I always thought of it as a business, even though it wasn't a business from the very beginning, I thought about it almost with like that mindset of, how I would create content at work. Yeah. You already had like the intuition of like treating it like a business. And I feel like that's such a good advantage and such a good way to look at it is by looking at it as a business, even when you're not making money. Cause in the beginning, you're probably not going to make money doing, you know, social for the first time or starting a blog or starting a YouTube or even a brand. I feel like it takes so long to start actually seeing a profit. And speaking of summer Fridays, I am a huge fan of summer Fridays. I think it's such a amazing line. You have amazing products and I'm curious of when did you and Lauren, your co-founder, get the idea for Summer Friday? So was it a light bulb moment for you of like, oh my God, we should start the skincare brand together? Or was it something in the making where kind of all the pieces added up and then you started this brand? So we started working on the brand in 2016 and it took us two years and we launched in 2018. And we knew we wanted to start with skincare because we really believe like skincare is the first step in your beauty routine. Um, If your skin feels good, you feel more confident, you wear less makeup or your your makeup wears better. And at the time, you know, I'd already been a beauty influencer for so long. So I was creating a community online of people who loved beauty and um, I loved to share products. And like I said before, I was like an educated consumer product junkie. And so I knew the things that I wanted in my beauty routine. And Lauren has a toddler now and her toddler, she was pregnant at the time and she was trying to clean out her skincare routine. And there were so many ingredients she couldn't use. And so she was like, okay, if I can't use these ingredients, but I can't find any products I like, what can we create without these certain things? And at the time in 2016, there was not as many clean beauty brands as there are today. So the options were really limited. And we felt like the clean options that were out there it didn't speak to who we were as a consumer and it didn't have packaging and branding that we we resonated with that we wanted to share on social. So we thought, how can we create clean products that are really effective in chic and Instagrammable packaging and a brand that actually resonates with us? And that's kind of where the idea from Summer Fridays came about formulated the first product, um, launched two years later at Sephora. And like you were just saying about thinking of things as like a business perspective, someone gave me really great advice to always think really big because you never know what's going to happen. And so even though we launched our brand with one product, we always thought really big for ourselves and we ended up, you know, our business grew a lot faster than we had anticipated, but because we were already thinking big, we kind of put those foundation steps in place. So as we grew, Uh, it was helpful to think about like the business getting bigger. And that's definitely been a great piece of advice for us as our business has gotten larger because we've kind of caught up to that place that we thought that we might eventually get to. Yeah, that's so smart. And I mean, clearly it's paid off because like you said, you're in Sephora, you're a huge brand now. I mean, even apart from you as an influencer, I feel like Summer Friday speaks for itself, which I think is awesome. And I feel like in the influencer community, that's really hard to do. It's hard to kind of separate a brand from the person that created it. So I think you do such a good job at making it speak for itself as like such an amazing skincare line. And I know you started as with just one product, which was the jet lag mask. So how did you decide on doing just one product? Was that something you wanted to do in the beginning as like, we're just going to start with one thing, see how the market reacts or like, what was your thought process behind just coming up with one? Cause you usually like skincare lines you'll see, and they have like a three-step thing or, you know, five-step routine. So I'm curious on how you came up with the jet lag mask as your standalone product. So the plan was to always come out with more products, but we always wanted to launch with one because 
you know, I'm sure you get so many products and packages. And when you open up something from a brand, I am so overwhelmed as a consumer. Like if you send me a five-step thing, I don't even know what to start with first because there's almost too many options that I don't start with anything. But if someone sends me one thing and it's hyper-focused, I know what to try and what the marketing focus should be. And I think that was really helpful for us. It was also really helpful as a new small and indie brand to invest in one product at launch. As far as like our quantities, it was easier for a retailer to take us and take a risk on us because we only had one product they had to buy instead of a whole line and range of products. Um, And so we felt like it helps being concentrated. It helps with marketing. And then, you know, we grew the business from there. And so our first three products, we actually formulated pre-launch. So we had um, jet lag mask, overtime mask, and R&R mask all ready to go before we had even launched the brand. And then post-launch is when we started working on all the products that came after that. Yeah, that's really cool. And also I'm curious from just a business side of things, how, what is the process of starting a skincare brand? I know there's like a million (laughs) steps, but what's like the first step? Like how long does it take for you to come up with the idea and then for it to be an actual product, like in your hands? Well, it took us two years. That's not the timeline that it will take everybody. Everyone's timeline is different. We chose to not rush things because we wanted everything to be right. Your first step is really different. So just one thing doesn't like work as a blanket statement for everybody. Um, but one person could either come up with like the brand name and the concept of the brand first, and then start to formulate products or someone else could formulate a product first and then build the brand around whatever they end up formulating. So I think the first step is figuring out what do you want your brand to stand for? Who is your target consumer? what price point do you want to go to? Because your price point is really important because you'll work backwards from there to figure out your cost of goods, which includes formula, the bottle or jar that it goes in, the package that it's in. And then after that, it's like the shipper box that it goes in plus shipping. And so let's say something is $20. Then you sell it to a retailer. Let's say this margin is 50%. So then they take $10. So they're only giving you $10 for something they're charging $20 for. Then from that $10, you subtract your cost of goods and all those other things I just listed. So maybe you're left with a dollar and then that dollar goes to paying all your employees, your overhead, your office, um, all all of the other things that go into running a business. So the, those margins and that profit is really important to you. So figuring out your price point is important before you start formulating things so that you can tell the person that's formulating the product, what your target cost of goods are so that they don't give you something that's too expensive. That wouldn't fit your end goal. Um, and then after that, um, working on brand name, then getting a trademark for that name, making sure that trademark is good in all regions, um, securing social handles, domain. Um, there's so many things that go into it, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think figuring out your, your target demographic and your price point is very, very important. And there is enough room for brands, all brands now, like no one uses all of one beauty brand and their skincare, hair, makeup routine. But I think you do need to have some point of differentiation. So whether it's focusing on a certain um, skincare concern, like I saw someone posted the other day on TikTok, it was a hair care line all focused on root health of your hair and your scalp health. So if you have a hyper-focused thing like that, people know to come to you for this thing. It's almost like having a niche as an influencer. So what is your thing as a brand and how are you different from all the other brands that are out there that someone would come to you for this thing? Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it it can get overwhelming when you think, oh, I want to start something. I want to start a brand. I want to start a business thinking of everything that you have to do, but just starting with one step and taking that leap and just starting honestly is always the first step and coming up with that name, coming up with those, you know, securing the handle and then just researching. I feel like probably Google was your best friend when doing everything like finding manufacturers or, you know, finding out how to ship something. I feel like you have a lot of help along the way and it can be less intimidating once you take that first step and just starting something and doing it. And I feel like yeah. summer Fridays, it probably was like that too. No one knows what they're doing. So I've talked to so many friends and I have a podcast too, and I interview so many like fellow brand founders and I asked them like, how did you figure it out? And they're like, I just guessed and I Googled and figured it out along the way. So none of us have the answers. Uh, you know, Lauren and I never went to business school. We don't have a background in starting companies. It's the first company we've ever had before. But we Googled stuff. We were not shy about cold calling people. Then that call would lead to an introduction to somebody else. And eventually it just snowballs. But no one knows what they're doing at the beginning. And there are so many great free resources. So use Google, 
listen to podcasts. If you listen to 10 podcasts, maybe half of them will have something valuable. But even if you pick up a couple little things from each place where you're, you know, gaining all of this free information, all of that will be so helpful in starting a business or a brand or a career as an influencer. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, this is your first business, like you said, and you and Lauren's first business. So what are some unexpected challenges that you faced along the way? Oh, there are a sure lot. There's a lot. I know there's always so many. I feel like no one ever talks about them, but there, it's like, there's so many whenever you start a business. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's so many things I think, you know, Instagram is a highlight reel of the best moments, but I think behind the scenes, it's like any job, as much as we love the jobs that we have, and we're so grateful, there's still things that come up and work every day that you have to power through, fix, find solutions and challenges. I'm trying to think, I mean, right now it's not even really a challenge, but it's just something we're doing. So externally, you know, we're almost three years old now we're building a a brand and a company that you're seeing. And so you're still learning about our products and maybe you've never even tried jet lag mask and it's been out for three years now. Um, But internally we're building a company and we're building a business and we're growing our team and um, you know, growing a team in a pandemic, working all remote and hiring people remotely who we haven't even got a chance to meet yet in person is difficult. And so I think um, we've just been trying to juggle that in the last year. And we have an amazing team of people like Lauren and I get a lot of credit because we're forward-facing founders. So you see us, but there are so many people behind the scenes that make the business run day to day. And because of those amazing leaders in the different departments and the managers who lead those teams, we are able to grow our business internally. So it's a really good structure to support all of the things that we do externally. Um, But definitely in the last year, it's been difficult as people get onboarded virtually, Um, but hopefully we will be all together in person sooner than later. Yeah. And about building a team, I feel like it can be really scary hiring that first person and, you know, trusting, like taking of the responsibility from yourself and giving it to someone else. So what are some characteristics that you look for when you are hiring? So we're still a small team. Um, and at the beginning we were very small for a very long time. And Lauren and I did most of the jobs and jobs we didn't know how to do, and we were not qualified for, but we couldn't afford to bring on other people. So we, the benefit of that is that we learned a little bit about each department along the way. So because we had to do those jobs by force, but by hiring new people, we learned kind of what they were doing. And then they knew these jobs much better than us because we are a small team. Being a team player is so important. So you need to be somebody who is willing to get in roll up your sleeves, help out your coworker if they need extra hands on something. And that is so important at a small company, but it also gives you more autonomy in your role. It gives you more of an opportunity to learn more things because if you want to learn how to do something else in one of the other departments or a certain role, you have the opportunity to learn from other people because everyone can use an extra hand. So being a team player is important. Um, And then working on tight deadlines because we are a social driven brand, things happen very quickly online. So maybe we need to pivot or change the feed or update Instagram graphics or something happens that we want to share. And so working quickly is important and overall, just like really loving the brand and getting who we are, um, is important too. So I love when we interview somebody and then I'll go and check their Instagram feed. And I saw like six weeks ago, they posted summer or Friday. So it's like, they genuinely do love the brand because they shared it a long time ago. It's not like we interviewed them. And then all of a sudden they're like, I love the company, but they've never tried anything before, which of course it's not a must. And then I think another thing that we look for is people who have previous experience and it doesn't have to be in the same industry. It doesn't have to be beauty. There are people who we've hired that have worked at fashion companies and home goods places and different industries, but they know how to do the role. But because Lauren and I have never done those jobs before, we want people who are smarter than us, who know more than us, who are more experienced so that they can come in because I wouldn't even know how to train somebody because I've never done the job before. So I need you to be able to come in and tell us what we need to do. And so we really trust our team and we just have the best team and I'm so, so grateful for them. Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, I think it's so important having that team around you. And again, like you were saying how Instagram is a highlight reel and you and Lauren are the faces of the brand, but there's so many people behind the scenes and it's so important to like, let people know that it's not possible to like do it all, you know, like it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to hire out. And I feel like it's something that if you want to scale your business, it's one of the scary steps, but it's so crucial and it's so important. So I love that you talk about that. 
Um, and then also I'm curious on how did you come up with the name Summer Fridays? Because the name, the branding, it's all like so, I think so like Instagrammable and it's really catchy and I just am a huge fan of it. So was there a meaning behind the name Summer Fridays? Thank you. Well, we love it. What we really wanted was even though we are influencers, we never had a desire to call a brand name after ourselves. And like you said, the brand really has its own identity beyond us. And that was always our goal for it to live and be larger than us. Even if you look at our Instagram feed, you will very rarely see pictures of Lauren and I on there. And that's on purpose because we don't want it to be about us. And so when we thought about the brand of the name, we wanted it to have a feeling. So when I'm applying my skincare in the morning or night, it really is like a self-care ritual for me amongst like all the other wellness things that I do. And so with summer Fridays, it's that summer Fridays feeling. So it's like that escape into beauty, escape into summer. You really look forward to like, when you're thinking about a summer Friday, you know, that feeling like the, the work is coming to an end, you're going to go to the beach or go outside or go for a walk, or you're preparing for the weekend. And it's a feeling you look forward to. And that's what we wanted in our skincare. So it's like, you look forward to these moments by yourself. So you can have that summer Friday, you know, in your bathroom while you're doing your routine, no matter what time of year it is. Yeah. I love it. I think I, I love like the look of it. I mean, it's so easy to picture, you know, like if you just, take your phone out and snap a photo of your skincare routine, having us having the summer Fridays, like mask, the jet lag mask is just like a must. I feel like it's so cute. <laughs> goes with everything, goes in everyone's bathroom. Um, and it's again, like something, which I'm sure you guys thought of, like something that you want to show off. Like I want to have it on my counter, you know, I don't yeah. want to put it away in the drawer. <laughs> that was really important to us because as an influencer, I would get a brand would send me a product and I would love it. This is before Instagram stories. And I wouldn't want to share it because it didn't fit my feed aesthetic because my feed used to be very perfect and it's still pretty curated now, but it's not as perfect as it used to be. But if I loved a product and I didn't love the packaging, how would I tell my followers about it if I didn't want to photograph it? So Instagrammable packaging, in addition to really great formulas, was so important to us because we thought this is how people are going to find out about our brand because this before we knew Sephora was going to carry us. So we were going to be direct to consumer and only online. So you had to like how we looked in a picture enough to be convinced to want to read about the formula or reviews and then want to try it afterwards. And so pretty Packaging is really important to us. And then we also are a sustainable brand. So using all recyclable packaging was important to us also. So we have a great recycling program. If you save five of our empties, um, we have glass jars and bottles and aluminum tubes. You can send them back to us and we'll send you a free mini jet lag mask. And so being sustainable was also important to us as well. And um, so not only are the tubes beautiful and they look amazing when they're all crimped, but we love that we can recycle them as well. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, your brand has such a cult following. So what are some tips for brands in general to cultivate a loyal following and to have those people that are coming back to have those people that are posting you that really connect with your brand? Like, do you have tips for other brands that want to create a following like that? Ooh, I don't know that there's tips because I don't think it's something you can force. You have to just create great product that you love and you truly stand behind and hope that other people love it as much as you do. And so we have been so fortunate and so lucky. And I love going through all the Summer Fridays tag pictures and seeing how everybody photographs and shares them and how supportive really our online community is. And that comes from us engaging with people you know, pre-pandemic, having community events, um, liking and commenting on tag pictures, responding back people, um, for product launches, we gift, you know, people outside of influencers, but who, people who are brand loyalists. And so I don't think you can cultivate a, a cult following, but I think treating your customers in your community, you know, with the same love that you treat influencers and stuff, I think is really important. Um, because these are the people who are coming back and buying your brand and you want to support the people who support you. Yeah. I really love that. And like you were saying, like you can have, a really pretty package and have it be photographed, but you actually have to believe in the product and it has to be good at the end of the day to get those people to come back. So I think that that is such good advice of like just being a good brand in general and like caring about your customers is the best way to do it. And you can't really mm -hmm. fake that. Um, and then you also balance a lot. So just being an influencer, being a business owner, do you have tools that you use to plan? Cause I'm a big, like tools person. Like I love Google calendar. I have ClickUp for my project management tool. I have some social media planners. So how do you like balance everything or like what, what software, what tools do you use to kind of keep your life in check? I don't know what ClickUp is, but now that you said it, I have to look it up to figure out yeah. what that is. <laughs> um, it's definitely really hard. And 
you know, I'm fortunate because I only have to take care of myself. I think, you know, some of my friends who are juggling it all with like motherhood and a business and a family and a house to run. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. So those are really like the super women of my life. Um, but for me, I have a little bit more free time and flexibility. And so I feel like as an influencer, you know, you can only delegate so much because you are the person, you know, prepping questions for a podcast and recording and sending the edits. You are the person in your YouTube content and on Instagram and blog. So there's not that much I can delegate in my influencer life. So the things that help me, I have a written to-do list. So every night before I go to bed, I write my to-do list for the next day. So that when I wake up in the morning and I go and sit down at my computer, I know exactly what I have to do. I'm not fumbling around during the day, trying to figure out what needs to be done. So I love, like, I have like so much like satisfaction, like crossing things off a, a yeah. physical <laughs> to-do list. And then I use Asana to plan all of my sponsor content. So all of my due dates on there, there's like a calendar tool so you can check things off. So all my due dates and live dates are on there. So then my management also is on the same platform as me so they can see when content is due. So let's say I get a new brand campaign and they want an Instagram up. I can see what day I have free to post that content. So then we schedule and organize everything um, through Asana. And then for summer Fridays, we use a lot of Zoom and Slack. Um, we try to minimize emails. So using Slack is better because I didn't want to be texting employees all the time. And so Slack is a way for us to fast communicate without, you know, filling up an inbox with like really short one message replies. And, um, I live by my Google calendar, I calendar, every single thing in my life is calendarized down to like the minute, even if it's like a five minute or 15 minute thing, it lives on there because it's not my calendar. I probably will forget to do it. And then having people that help me keep accountable. So there's people who will just be like, Mariana, this is due today. And they just kind of have to ping me or remind me until I get it done. So it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of different places. Um, but so, you know, I'm not perfect and I try to do things and I always get it turned in eventually on time. It just like, yeah. uh, might not be early. That's how I am. Yeah. I have so many different tools that I use and like, so ClickUp is very similar to Asana. It just has like a few more capabilities, but I have like everything on there. I, I like, I've, I've tried so many different tools to try to organize my life. And I feel like every like six months I'm like, okay, how do I like organize my life better? So I always like asking people this question because I'm like, I want to know the tools that other people are using, any tips that people have for getting it all done or trying to get it all done. So I think it's really helpful to know like actual items that people do. And yes, I'm a huge believer in checking things off a to-do list. I love a written to-do list. I'll even add like, send this email and then I'll send it and like check, cross it off. Like it feels so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and do you have a morning routine or is every day different for you? Because I know that you do so much, so I can't imagine any day being the same. So do you have any things in your life that are, or in your day, I guess, that are constant, like a routine or a night routine or what does like a normal day look like? So I have a morning routine. I choose to wake up early so I can do this because for me, starting my day with a morning routine really sets me up for the rest of the day. Because if I wake up and I immediately have to start doing things, I feel rushed through the rest of the day. So even though it's not great to always have to wake up early, I feel so much better afterwards. So I wake up around seven and between seven and nine is when I do my full morning routine. So I get up, I make my bed. I have a glass of water and take whatever morning supplements I need to take. I do a 20 minute transcendental meditation. I meditate twice a day for 20 minutes. Then after I meditate, I make a cup of coffee. Then I come and sit down with my cup of coffee. I bring out my gratitude journal. I write one page in my gratitude journal every single day. This is great for me because like that I I'm busy and I have so much going on. So instead of starting my day thinking I'm so stressed with all of these things I have to do today, I say, I'm grateful. I get to do these things today. I'm grateful for the, the brand that want to work with me. I'm grateful for the opportunities we have a summer Fridays. I'm grateful for the team of people who we have working, you know, on the brand or on the influencer side with me. And by starting my day with gratitude, I go into a better mindset of attacking the things I have to do that day, because I'm already starting with saying, oh, I'm so grateful. I get to work on this project now. Oh my gosh, I have to work on this thing today. Then 
after my gratitude journal, um, I either do like a little stretch or like a little mini workout and then I'll um, play an audio book or a podcast. So I like to listen to like USA Today has like a five minute morning news thing and you just get like the quick headlines from the day. So I kind of have an idea of what's going on in the world. And then I try to read or listen to one chapter of a book a day, five days a week. So I don't do it every day, but at least if I can get through five chapters of a book a week is really good. So then I'll play an audio book and I'll clean up my kitchen or like tidy or do whatever I need to do and then shower and start my day. So it sounds like a lot of things in the morning, but by having that me time for myself, then when I actually sit down at nine o'clock to start working, I don't need to go back and do those other things I wanted to do throughout the day. Like, oh, I need to do my dishes. I need to clean my room. I need to do these other things. Like it's already done. And then the rest of the day can be actually focused on work. And I have a, a calm and gratitude mindset for the day. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm a huge believer in morning routines. I think they set your day up for success. And what time do you wake up in the morning? I wake up around seven, um, like seven, seven thirty. It really just depends. Um, I'm like an early riser and I know I am my most productive in the morning. So if you're not a morning person, that's fine. Then have a nighttime routine that works for you. So don't try to force yourself to be a morning person. If it's not your thing, don't think because these people have a morning routine, I need to force myself to wake up early, do what works best for you in the time where you feel you're most energized and motivated and excited to do these steps. So if you're a nighttime person, maybe it's at the end of the day before you go to bed where you do this list of things that set you up for the next day. So whether you're a morning or nighttime person, I do think having a routine at some point in time that it's like the self-care stuff that's not fun. So it's like uh, it's time consuming self-care, but you'll be better for it in the long run. Yeah, I could not agree more. And before we go, I wanted to ask if you were to give advice to someone starting a brand, what is the biggest piece of advice on getting your product or your brand out there? Ooh, I would say just do it. I think it's so difficult for people to like rip the bandaid off and just start something. And there's so much fear around starting things like fear of of it starting. How will it go? Will people judge me? Am I embarrassed to do this thing? Um, but you never know until you start something and you never know a year later where you could be if you just went after that goal. Don't let the fear of not knowing something hold you back because it's fine to be fearful. It's fine to have those feelings, but have fear and do it anyway, because it is all possible. If somebody else did it, you can too. There is so much room for new influencers, new brands out there, and the barriers to entry now are so low. You do not need a retailer to want to carry you. You can launch your brand. You can get a Shopify site. You can have, you can do it direct to consumer. You can ship your own orders. There is a way to make it happen, and you do not need to rely on other people to do it. And go somewhere where you can get low minimum order quantities. So you're not out a ton of money, you know, with inventory that you're not sure about you can sell yet. Um, but there is enough room for everyone. And just if, if it's something you want to do, I really, really encourage you to go after your dreams and, um, you know, not live with regret thinking, hey, what if I would have started this thing a year ago? And so the time is now, and I hope that you find some time to do it this year. I love that. I'm I love that piece of advice. I think it can help so many people out of just getting past that fear of starting and just honestly starting. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you and Summer Fridays? Yeah, you can follow me at Mariana underscore Hewitt. You can listen to my podcast, Life with Mariana, every Tuesday. Amazing influencers, fellow brand founders, just people to inspire you to live your best life. And you can find Summer Fridays at summerfridays.com and Sephora and a bunch of other retailers that sell um, around the world. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you guys loved it. I would love to know what you think. If you're still listening, please be sure to leave five-star review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, I should say, and then also take a screenshot and post it on your story. I love seeing your story reshares, and then I also like reposting them. So anyways, I will be back next week with another episode of The Real Real Podcast. Hey, my name is Lovon Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. 
At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.